Hello there. I'm Colleen. I'm Anders. And I'm Daniel. We're three nerds that met through our love of science fiction and fantasy storytelling. Of course, one of our favorites is George Lucas's signature achievement, Star Wars. And if there's one thing the internet definitely doesn't have enough of, it's nerds talking about Star Wars. So here we are with yet another Star Wars podcast, where each week we discuss one of the films in the current Star Wars canon. From the sands of Tatooine to the levels of Coruscant, we cover it all. Yet another Star Wars podcast is available wherever you get your podcast and is part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Hey, I'm Shamar. And I'm Andrew. We're going to be doing a deep dive on all the connected DC animated movies in their cinematic universe. Yes, I'm here to discuss the interconnected storylines and point out how jacked everybody is. And I'm here to share a deep comic book knowledge like Batman having his own sneaker line. So check out yet another DC animated podcast. Part of the Forgotten Entertainment family and coming soon wherever you listen to your podcast. Hello and welcome to the Nomcast, the Netflix original movie podcast. I am your host, Andrew Morgan. You can follow the show at NomcastPod on Twitter and Instagram, and you can check us out on the web at NomcastPod.com. Okay, thanks so much for joining us. I am feeling energized today. Had an awesome movie-filled weekend. I had an opportunity to go to the New York Film Festival on Friday for the centerpiece presentation of The Power of the Dog, a movie that we have talked about a lot and we'll talk about a ton more as award season starts to take hold. And the whole experience was incredible. It was my first time back in New York since COVID started, so that was just an awesome treat to just take in the city once again. It was my first time going to the New York Film Festival in any capacity, at any time. Uh, and not only did I get to see the film, but there was a Q&A afterwards with director Jane Campion and a handful of the cast and crew, including Benedict Cumberbatch and Kirsten Dunst. So a great time that I'll share in more detail, I imagine, when we review the film here on the pod closer to its December 1st Netflix release date. Uh, excited to share that with you guys because uh, it was just an excellent time. And as for the film, I will say right now um, that the movie is definitely worth watching. It provided me and Chris Frodell of Arguing With Myself, a, a frequent guest of this show. He accompanied me to the festival and it provided us a lengthy discussion on our walk back to Grand Central. And it was awesome. It was like that kind of uh, after movie diner experience that you do, you know, breaking down a movie. And it was awesome. I love diving into it. So stay tuned for more on The Power of the Dog, like I said, as it gets closer to its release date. Also, some quick programming notes. I will be a guest on the excellent award-centric podcast, Mike, Mike, and Oscar, next week. So if you don't subscribe to that pod already, be sure to check me out there. Always a good time hanging with the mics. And as for programming here, it will be pretty Halloween-centric going forward uh, for the rest of the month. Next week, we will cover No One Gets Out Alive, which is out now. And There's Someone Inside Your House, which is out today if you're listening on the day of release. So watch those and tune into our review episode next week. And from there, we'll cover things like the WWE interactive movie Escape the Undertaker, we might talk about the horror episodes of the movies that made us, I think. And we got Night Teeth and Hypnotic to get to as well. So plenty of scary stuff all month long, as is the way this time of year. So subscribe to this pod if you don't already, because you don't want to miss out on all the fun, right? Like, it, I love this time of year. I hope you do, too. The, the best time between all the awards films, fall film festivals, Halloween, horror. Uh, it's just, it's the best. It's the absolute best time of year. So get excited with me, folks, all right? Just buy in. Let's do this. Let's do it right. October's the best. And speaking of getting excited, we have a great review that I'm excited for you to hear. The Guilty starring Jake Gyllenhaal came out this past Friday, and I broke the whole thing down with Michael Field of Forgotten Cinema, and it's got everything you want to know about the film. 
including our thoughts on how this remake compares to the original Danish version uh, and how it should play for audiences who are taking on this story for the first time as well. That and much more is coming at you right now. So thanks again for listening and enjoy our review of The Guilty. All right, Mike Field is here, a man of many projects. His podcast, Forgotten Cinema, is heading into their annual Forgotten Horror Month all October long. Glad you could make it. Oh, I'm glad I could be here. I haven't done a, a nomcast in quite some time. I'm starting, starting to feel like I was uh, not wanted anymore. <laughs> well, that is true. I'm glad Damn you it. noticed that. That is good. <laughs> But I'm glad you could step down from the multiple podcasts and running an empire, uh, you know, the whole thing, the the, the forgotten entertainment family, as it were. So oh, how uh, nice. Yeah. And it's a little better. I, I'm trying to remember which one you did last, whether because you did a Noah Holmes, and I forgot whether that was the last one or whether it was... Um, Hillbilly? Hillbilly Elegy. Yeah. I don't remember. Which one was, was that, the last one? I'm trying to remember which what the order was. No, I feel I like Hillbilly I... Elegy was after I don't know because I thought it was a was it for the Oscars, right? So I thought Enola right. Holmes was was mid season. I don't know, who knows? But it could have one been. of those two, one of those two. Yeah, yeah. Those are the last yeah. two we did, absolutely. Yeah, but it's definitely yeah. It's been quite a while, so mm-hmm. glad to have you back on. Uh, before we get to the review of today, uh, tell the folks uh, a little bit about Forgotten Cinema and what they can expect for Forgotten Horror this year. Oh, okay. So Forgotten Cinema obviously is a podcast about films that we say that have been forgotten by audiences uh, for a variety of reasons. Sometimes we get yelled at, but because we don't, they don't, people don't think they've been <laughs> forgotten. But you know what? It's our podcast, so that's what we're saying. Uh, so uh, my co-host Mike Butler, his favorite time of the his favorite type of movie is a horror film. So his favorite time of the year is, Hall- is Halloween. So uh, when we started the podcast, which is in May of 2019, uh, for the month of October, we decided just to do horror films. We called it Forgotten Horror, and uh, so this is our third annual one. So this year and we are doing we're doing Prince of Darkness with 30 Days of Night in the Mouth of Madness and Don't Scare Jessica to Death and it's funny because we always pick like I'll pick an episode I'll pick one he'll pick one he picked right. the, he picked Prince of Darkness in the Mouth of Madness but he didn't know they were both Carpenter both films Carpenter. <laughs> so when, after we did that I'm like why are you picking just John Carpenter I mean I'm fine with it but you know it's now it's just Carpenter movies so he's but he had never seen those two which was a lot of times within the podcast is so, because I'm a little bit older than him, as you know, uh, you know, yes. he is, I've seen a lot more films than he has. So it's 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 kind of cool when I get to pick one that he hasn't seen because it's like a, a fresh perspective kind of thing. So that's what we for got sure. coming up for this for this month of October for Forgotten Horror. Very cool. Uh, a lot of those I you know would You've love to revisit. I know I've seen. Well, actually, I haven't seen uh, Let's Scare Jessica to Death or whatever that one is. I haven't seen that one. So that might be. I don't know if that's available anywhere, but I'll. I'll uh, I could go I, I, seek let's put it, it this out. way: I can get it for you. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but um, that shot that was shot in Connecticut. Oh yeah, yeah. It's a '70s film. It's um. Oh, interesting. It's it's it's. It's interesting. It's a very interesting film. <laughs> Let's put it that way. But it's definitely it's definitely worth watching. I always say it's worth going back and watching these movies. So it's definitely worth watching. And that was his pick. Or no, then that was your uh, pick. That then. was my pick. I pick Thirty Days a Night because I always see it. And I, I always like remember, movie, so yeah. yeah. Um, so I always just like let's let's do that. And my wife doesn't like Josh Hartnett, so I wanted to like kind of like rub that in. So that's why we <laughs> did that. And then and then I want don't scare Jessica to death. People, so a couple of people were watching it last year. Uh, people, some other podcasts, and I was like, I kept seeing the poster, and I'm like, you know what? I I, I put it on the list, and I wanted right. to watch it. And a lot of times, it's like if it's not on Forgotten Cinema, then I won't watch it as much. So. I was kind of gotcha. a way for me to get to watch it, but I do, I do like watching films that I have not seen either on for the show because that just I think that just helps a little. Yeah, maybe next month is Josh Hartnett month. You can do uh, Hollywood Homicide. Can I <laughs> you tell can you do that, Forty that Days, on, Forty Nights? That was on the other day, Hollywood Homicide, and I was I watched about thirty minutes of it. Oh, awful, <laughs> awful. I will never get no the the vision of Harrison Ford on a like a little kids bike or yeah. whatever uh it's just it's it's uh, not good yeah, but you know at least he didn't break any bones on that set so that's good well then it's not a good movie if he doesn't break any bones it's not a good movie <laughs> that's a fair point yeah it's good luck i guess um well excellent a lot of stuff that's good there everybody go check them out um you know obviously starting today when this comes out uh oh yeah, the first we, yeah one we, for we the released October, on the same so. day yeah we're like competing not really yes but, you know. exactly yes <laughs> that's why i'm failing uh, <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> yeah. damn it 
<laughs> but looking forward to those, man. It's awesome. Everybody go check out Forgotten Cinema. Um, something else that I've been looking forward to is the film we're going to review today, The Guilty, uh, starring Jake Gyllenhaal as a demoted police officer uh, who is currently working as a 911 dispatcher who's conflicted when he receives an emergency call from a kidnapped woman. Um, not a ton of notable names that are visible to this audience. It's mostly Gyllenhaal you know, at the center of the frame for the entire film, but there are tons of voice actors in this uh, of notable names. Ethan Hawke, Riley Keough, Peter Sarsgaard, Eli Gorey, Paul Dano, Divine Joy Randolph, and even comedian Bill Burr. Um, it is a remake of the 2018 Danish film of the same name, uh, which was very successful. It was well-received critically. It was named Denmark's submission for best foreign language film at the Oscars. Uh, it didn't make it to Oscar Sunday, but it's still a notable mention nonetheless. Um, I have watched this. You said you have not watched this film, correct? The, the original, no. The I original. Not watched, no. I, I saw the trailer, but I did not watch the original. Yeah, it's, it's striking. I watched it. Uh, last night after I watched uh, this version first because I wanted to at least give it its credit on mm -hmm. its face. But uh, we'll get to it. But it's very interesting, A, what the differences are, and B, how overall, how very little difference there okay. is and why you would remake a film from three years ago when it's like, what's your slant here? What's your what's well, your this, angle? This is an American film now, Andrew, and of course it's better because of that, right? I mean, I don't get exactly. I don't, I'm right along. I agree with you. If it's a film is awesome and it's a foreign film, just release the foreign film. We don't need to have. We don't need to be Americanized. It's not going to make me like it more or less. I don't understand that, but whatever. I'm yeah, not, we're in I'm the not, age yeah. of Parasite winning Best Picture. Can yeah. we stop doing stuff like this? And then, of course, I say that. And then Bong Joo Ho is like making a parasite show for HBO Max. But or he's whatever doing it, it though, which is fine. Like it's him. It's not like you know what I mean. It's not like they're they bought it and they're completely having a bunch of different people redo it. You know, so it's, yeah, that's fine, I guess. I mean, plus he gets to make his money, which is great. So, well, in a way, the the person who made this, uh, the writer director of the original Danish film, is the executive producer on this film as well. So at least he gets his money for that. Sure, uh, there of is that. But um, but the film is written by True Detective creator Nick Pizzolatto. That season one is still one of my favorite seasons of television of all time. Shout out to the Yellow King. I know he's a big fan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> big listener of the of the Nomcast. Uh, and it's directed by Antoine Fuqua, who uh, worked with Pizzolatto previously on the Magnificent Seven remake from years ago, and worked with our lead Jake Gyllenhaal on a little film called Southpaw that came out a little while ago, uh, which I am now going to champion to Mike to put on <laughs> Forgotten Cinema, because not enough people talk about that damn movie. Have you? And you said you haven't I've seen that one yet, right? I've never seen it, but I'll add it to the list, but I've never seen yeah. it. Yeah. What do you think of Fuqua altogether? Because he's having kind of a interesting career post-training day. Mm -hmm. Where, you know, again, a lot of like some success with like, say, the Equalizer films or mm -hmm. like a Magnificent Seven or in my purview, Southpaw. But like other than that, you know, it's kind of a lot of just like a little bit of TV here, a little bit of like maybe some lesser stuff, uh, less successful stuff or kind of like retreading the idea of like they see him as the training day guy. So he kind of made certain films that are close to that, like a Brooklyn's Finest uh, with Ethan Hawke, because he's worked with him like several times now. Like, mm -hmm. what do you think of Fuqua's career? Because he definitely had a, a big dud on Paramount Plus with Infinite, the Mark Wahlberg movie uh, months yeah. back that got panned horribly. Um, so what I, do you I, think I, of yeah. him? I watched Infinite. Uh, no, sorry, uh, you were yeah. the one. <laughs> oh, that was a tough one to watch. That that and the Tomorrow War. But anyways, um mm. Uh, I remember because I remember when. Uh, do you remember when Chow Yun Fat had the replacement killers? Do you remember that movie? That was yeah. Fuqua's like first because he was a music video director. He and was, then, yeah. And I remember when replacement killers came out because it was when Chow Yun Fat was off of like Hard Boiled, I believe. Uh, Maybe it was he, close, yeah. but it definitely, was when he was. Yeah. yeah, he was, or it might have been after Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, but whatever. But he was like. It was the trailer for that was always it was like an Antoine Fuqua and I was like I don't even know who this guy is like, like the <laughs> yeah. trailer was just like shouting his name like I knew who it was so we always joked about you know his last Fuqua because we used to like to say that because it's an awesome last name it's an awesome it 
it is. To say. It's a great name. <laughs> but I always equate him with action. So I, I think I always equate him with action films. I know the replacement kills is probably it's his first. So, but it was action. But and then Training Day because Training Day right. is obviously his his big one. Um, I I I, I didn't see it with this movie. I didn't feel like I was watching an Antoine Fuqua movie. So and and yeah. I, you know I'm used to. I'm used to the visuals. I'm used to the actions, the set pieces. Um, so that's the that's the Fuqua I know and and I appreciate. We actually did uh, King Arthur on uh, Forgotten Cinema, and he directed. Oh, that. that's right, well, that is him. Yeah. yeah. So and that was that was pretty cool too. He had a lot of nice action beats in there too. So I, I his action stuff I like a lot. Like it's just it's it's stunning visually and it's interesting and what's happening like on screen you it's not i think a lot of a lot of film directors a lot of action directors will do the quick cuts will do the quick movements and you can't tell what's happening with you know but i and i think right fuqua does that very well where i know what's happening and 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 that's all i want an action scene is is to know what's going on to know you know who's hitting who when it when it gets really quick cut and stuff like that it gets very confusing, and then I just feel like they're masking mistakes and they're mas- They're trying to hide stuff, but he does not do that. So I, I like him as an action director, but this film, I just didn't feel like I was watching a Fuqua film, good or yeah. bad. I'm not. It's not a negative, but it just just how I felt. For sure. And, and the interesting thing about Fuqua is he's one of the rare directors these days who's not like within the IP universe's stuff, but he's also just kind of like. A work for a hire guy. He's like just a guy who likes to work and he's a tactician. He's very skilled. But like you don't he's not an auteur mm-hmm. like where he gets control and like makes these things that are like whole cloth, like you know this is a Fuqua movie. But you can tell in the details, like you were saying, action sequences, maybe a certain style of film, you know, the the that kind of thing makes it a Fuqua film more than anything. But yeah, this definitely flies in the face of something like that something that might also make it a little more difficult to put his stamp on it is that this is definitely uh, for how much i was saying you know it's weird that they remade a movie from three years ago i wonder if this came about because maybe they had the idea during the quarantine period because this is a movie that they shot in october of 2020 so we're still like pre-vaccine, just getting back to work kind of an environment. It was shot in 11 days. You know, it's obviously a very limited location stuff. You can get a lot done all in those days. But Fuqua had to direct the film from a van with monitors because he was in contact with someone who had COVID. So he couldn't even be on set being more hands-on doing, uh, you know, maybe what a normal direction feels like. Uh, even though, you know, a lot of times, and you're a director yourself, Mike, a lot of times you're, quote, under the hood, you know, a little <laughs> bit, a little bit distant anyway at times, you know, when you're not working with the, you know, the actors, you know, off off screen or in between shots. Mm-hmm. So, you know, do you think that might have had an effect if, if that was you? Like, would it be something that maybe has a tangible effect on the film? I think it affected me watching it because when I, I as it started, I started watching it. And I just I kept noticing that okay, this is one location because I had not known about the original uh, initially. It's one location. Why is everyone spread out? Why is there nobody in this movie but five people? And then I'm like, this feels like a pandemic film. This feels like it was right. shot during, and and that's like I get like what you're trying to do, and I get maybe like you're just this is what it is. But right. if I'm starting to think about what's going on outside of the film that's pulling me from the movie and that kind of uh, when we can get into it later but that kind of disconnected me from the story a bit because then i was like wait a minute they shot this during the pandemic it had to be during the pandemic. why are they not together why is he suddenly in a room by himself like it started that stuff started happening um i mean him fuqua being in the trailer is it's not as bad as guy ritchie directing wrath of man from england off uh (laughs) yeah yeah because he couldn't come over here because of because of the pandemic and the quarantine he couldn't leave so he just shot he shot that off like on video monitors like that's a little tough but yeah you know but i hear what you're saying i don't don't know if i don't know if it affected their storytelling i think it affected my viewing of it and that may be just Mm -hmm. me but that just it just because i started noticing things and that made me question okay when was this done what's going on here so yeah which is interesting because the original film actually feels 
exactly the same way and was not under those parameters at the time. But I, that's why I was saying maybe they saw the original and got like the spark of the idea of like, look at how small this is. We can redo this and kind of make this, you know, a Netflix special, just put it right to streaming and kind of do the best they can with it and keep people working mm-hmm. during that time of the, uh, of the, you know, quarantine, lockdown, sure, whatever you want to sure. call it, period. So it, it, it makes a lot of sense. The thing that doesn't make a ton of sense for me is why they put it to uh, the Toronto International Film Festival this year. Right. Because to me, a lot of those films, you're trying to put them in contention because you want it to get attention for, for award season. And I don't think a film like this, especially, you know, in front of critics and everything else that you're going to, try to wow them with the movie mm-hmm. it's not that kind of movie but if anything i think and and we'll this is a good way to kind of segue into our feelings about the movie but i think this is maybe just was done for a jake gyllenhaal showcase like trying to get him to see if there were any any legs to his performance being awards worthy going forward well you would know this more than me but i would imagine that netflix has a lot of understandings with these people that the these filmmakers and actors that are coming over to make movies for them that they even though they are coming to a streamer they still want to have that that window of theatrical for them open to for award season because you know i know that i don't know if this upcoming oscars they're going to do the same you know, they, they lax the rules a little bit about movies having to be in theaters for the for the yeah. 2021. Yeah, so I don't know if they're doing that again, but eventually that's not that might go away. It's going to have to be theatrical. So I think if Netflix wants to attract more big name talent, that maybe that's why they do that that kind of concession. But again, also regardless of Netflix, Gyllenhaal produced the film, he bought the film, the yeah. film right. So he might want to put that out there, like you said. So it could be that as well. So yeah, it's it true. Be, yeah. And Joan Hall does a lot of work with Netflix, so that makes a lot True. of sense to kind of keep that relationship and be like, you know, this is a solid one-man show, essentially, that you can try to push into Oscar season, or at least in good faith. Mm-hmm. Be like, Toronto makes a lot of sense. A lot of popular, like the populist films go there. You know, it, it's not an art film. You know, it's something that, you know, if it's going to go somewhere, it makes sense to go there versus, say, you know, Venice, Cannes, any sure. some, uh, some of the larger overseas uh, ones, or even bringing it to Telluride or something and trying to start a campaign that way. It doesn't make a lot of sense. So this one, of all the festivals, I guess, makes sense. It's just weird that a film like this that I feel like they're with house money right now. The fact that it's not getting panned and it's a film that just came out a few years ago. Right. And so and it's getting praise for for Hall critically and all these other things. I think it's house money. They I don't even think they needed to do it. But hey, you know, again, if you're trying to keep a relationship alive or, or right. you know, on solid ground, you know, he's been in Okja. He was in Velvet Buzzsaw. You know, he's done this movie now. Yep. If he wants to keep working, plus they're working with his sister uh, in her uh, directorial debut coming in the end of the year. Keep in the Gyllenhaal family. You know, keep it going. <laughs> keep, keep up all those things. But let's get into the film itself a little bit. I, I want to kind of know, um, especially as a person who hasn't seen the, the original version, what were your first impressions of the film when you watched it this go-round? <laughs> I think when I'm watching it and maybe about 30 minutes in, I'm like, they're not leaving this set, are they? Like, it, it had a dawn on me that, okay, mm-hmm. we're in this set for the long haul. Um yeah. So uh, my thing was that, and and I kind of alluded to before, uh, I don't know for whatever reason, and but I felt a real disconnect with him. I felt a real disconnect with just the story. And I think because I noticed everyone was six feet apart because I noticed it was one set. And I don't mind one locations. I don't. I, I mean, I... I don't mind movies that right. are basically adaptations of plays because I like the, I like the written word, um, you sure. know. So, it, but that my first impression was like I had to get my head around the fact that we are not leaving this location, uh, yeah, you know, like that kind of thing. Because you don't, I didn't know going in. Um, I wonder if I knew that going in, if it wouldn't have bothered me so much, or just maybe kind of put a wedge in there between. Because there's like a. For me, there's like a an, a an imaginary wedge between me and the story, and I couldn't. And to this, even talking to you, and maybe I'll figure it out. I don't know why that is, and I don't know why I just couldn't 
connect with him or connect with the story as yeah. much as maybe someone else did. So that was my first kind of, you know, when I first started watching it. Um, and I'll shout out uh, a friend of mine uh, who's been on the show several times, uh, film critic Kobe Mack, uh, that's been on. He he mentioned, I saw him post online, like, am I supposed to like anybody from this film? And I think that's yeah. kind of a valid criticism and maybe why it keeps the audience maybe at an arm's length, too, because mm-hmm. you're going through this whole film. It's like, is is Joe Baylor a good guy? Is are the people he's contacting to help him good people? Is he is he trying to to write something in himself through this case? Does that work? Is that effective? Is it effective in this climate of police police brutality or or anti police sentiment in in some circles too? A lot of those things I think are very valid. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that uh, I felt with the film. I enjoy it, especially because, again, it's 90 minutes and out. You know, they keep to the attention. I like, uh, like you were saying, the invisible kind of barriers of things. I think there is kind of like an invisible barrier around him, like where he, it's, they're trying to create this element of claustrophobia between the elements of what's going on outside with the, the wildfires and, and kind of keeping people you know, uneasy, you know, and it, it with literally in a smoke screen, a walking smoke screen. And then on top of it, you know, it's a busy, hectic period on the 911 dispatchers for that reason. Then he also has his impending trial stuff. He has, you know, his wife to contend to, his partner to contend with, um, and all hopes of trying to rectify and fix his life. And then it's kind of the the unveiling of that as it goes on while you're going through essentially a hostage situation that he's trying to aid. So there's a lot of tensions just swirling all the time. And I think the fact that he kind of either feels like he can't leave or, or that, you know, he just doesn't leave leaves it to kind of be this kind of compressed, anxious film that I think is effective because they do those things. Uh, I'd be interested to know because you didn't see the original. In the original, the big difference between the two, and I'm I'm curious to know whether you think these were like effective enough to kind of make the differential worth it. But so so basically, in the original, there's no conversations with his wife or talking about his daughter. Like he mentions that they're kind of like not living together; they're kind of separated. But it's very much like a one line and done. So the wife thing doesn't really enter into the thing or any kind of custody issues or any of that stuff. The Dutch version is also extremely quiet in terms of, you know, it kind of lets you, it lets these elements breathe where it's like, you know, if when you're hanging up with a hostage victim, it's not like, all right, let's see, let me get to the monitors. Let me go to the next move. Let me do this. It's sitting going, Oh God, what have I done? Or, Oh God, where is this going to go? And you really feel like you're in it with that person a little bit like that. It's this contemplative, they use silence and, and it's, it's still that squeeze, but it's just different. So it holds you a little bit in a different way. It -hmm. doesn't make this frantic piece. It's very much, and it's still only 90 minutes, but it's still very more, very much more subdued, I guess, (laughs) and more in, in control uh, of that kind of impending thing. Plus, um, I think the journalist is much less to the, you know to the side, um, and the office environment is super quiet. So like when he has that moment where later on when he's kind of uh, I'll say I'll try to stay non spoilery to start, but when he's you know talking to the victim who switches stance at the very end, mm-hmm. when he's kind of trying to appeal to her by dumping out all his issues. Mm-hmm. He's doing that in front of everybody in the audience, like in the in the bullpen, as it were, uh, in the other film. And this, and you really feel it because it goes from like nothingness in the middle of the night to, oh my god, would this guy just say? Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit different. Also, um, this is a slight spoiler, but um, the well, we're not ba- supposed to spoil the movie because well, spoil I was gonna, I was gonna it. at least try to save it later. <laughs> Well, the baby situation for anyone who uh, has seen the film is different in the Danish version in the negative connotation. So, um, so Which this is one is 
is lighter in tone slightly or at mm. least more forgiving in this version which makes it kind of more suitable probably for american audiences because you know we're sensitive we're sensitive people yeah we're so, sensitive sure so of all those things do you think that you enjoy maybe something with uh, a faster pace a more intense soundtrack or do you think this could have used a little bit more moments of calm and reflection and and kind of just really letting the pace dictate a different type of film well i what you're describing for the original seems like a much better movie um this one in contrast in this one it seems like they're trying to drum up the tension and not right. let the ten- not let the audience get to the tension on their own like right. you can you can create tension many different ways but you have to like for whatever story you're trying to tell you can't force it i think they force it like there's when you talk about how he's quiet the one of the things i did not like about um uh Gyllenhaal's character is he keeps talking and it's like yeah. i know you're uh, uh, you're a 911 operator and you know a, a, I don't understand why you just keep talking. Just shut up. Like he's just pick up the phone, pick up the phone, pick up the phone. Like he's doing stuff like that. It's like, um, you got to stop, man, because you are, you're supposed to be calm on the phone. And right. Because and and my thing is like you were supposed to be a calming voice on the phone for somebody on the other end. If you are not that calming voice, they're gonna take you off the phone. And I get that he's been demoted to that, but right. Th- that why would they put him in a situation where he he's worse? They would just they, and honestly, would they really demote him to that? Wouldn't they just send him home and say like we'll see you later? Um, yeah, you know, stuff like that. You're talking about like how um, just going back to something you said about how. Um, you know, it's there's they're taking all these calls about the wildfires because that that's just a major thing that's happening because this huge wildfire that's happening. Right. Okay, then why is why is another room empty? Why are there only five people working today? <laughs> like like that's yeah. the other thing. It's like it's just a, a a massive situation, and we've got five guys, five guys and girls. Excuse me, men and women working. You know, it's like that's yeah. it. That's all we have. And the other guys like, hey, I'm, we're done. Our shift's over. Really, your shift's over. You're just leaving. Yeah. It, it, the, the stuff like so there was some stuff that I did not I just it kind of bugged me um he's such a jerk I think your, your friend Kobe's right he's such a jerk it's like he's yeah. the main character and at some point I have to feel bad for him and the f- and I still don't understand what he did because right I because I there I had a problem with the dialogue in terms of not understanding what some of the people were saying on the other line I couldn't understand them right. and I couldn't understand him sometimes when he was doing his reveal to Emily and he was right. and that's fine he's he's crying and 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 he's upset I still didn't know what he was saying I I, I kind of got the gist of it yeah but, I, but like I don't like I, I I shouldn't have to go read the the crib notes to find out what he did uh, I need to sure. know in the movie and that kind of so and plus the fact that there's two reveals is the reveal of what's what the situation is really going on inside that van and then the reveal right. of him and it's right. like and you could even say there's a third reveal when he's in the bathroom at the end and he calls his partner up like so there's like all these yeah. like these twists and it's just like I've I'm already been twisted around here I don't I I can't really like my 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 story compass is all messed up right now I don't know where I'm going right. here so that was yeah. kind of again maybe that goes to me my the, the disconnect or just kind of me being thrown off but uh, he, your friend's right. There's really not a lot of people you can really like in this film. And if you're gonna say like, well, the the father or the the other person on the phone, it's like, yeah, but I don't see them. They're a voice. I, you, you, that's really difficult for me to connect with a voice. You know, sure. to have that kind of positive uh, um, uh, moment with 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 a voice on the other end of the phone. So there was there's. I hope I answered your question, but I was all over the place. But yeah, but yeah, it's just there's just a lot of stuff that it, it just didn't add up to a emotional experience that I really wanted in the movie. And, and what you're describing in terms of the original, the ending uh, is probably how it would have been in real life. And you know what I mean? I don't need the happy ending about yeah. The, the, so yeah, no, I, 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 th- I think that was a little unrealistic. It was just like, you know, and then when she comes in at the end, the woman that was yelling at him the whole time, his boss, right. and she's like, broken people save broken people. I hated like, that what? line so much. Get out I hate it. Yeah. The fact that you're okay with him going to a separate room and nobody's in there and he's closed the blinds and he's 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 handling these 911 calls and telling people, don't call me again, don't call me again. You're, we're okay right. with this, that he's a completely like just disregarding the rules. And it's just like, we're all yeah. like, nah, whatever, whatever, whatever. 
Yeah, he's dismissive to the people he has to interact with, and then the people who he's friendly with, he's asking them to basically violate rules and 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 yeah, save his ass and and be at his his whim, him mm-hmm. like by him not doing his job and overstepping and kind of you know, and it kind of speaks to something that I brought up earlier, where it's like we're in a climate of you know excessive force, excessive you know mm-hmm. people uh, not doing their jobs, going over over the line, or in in this kind of in kind of climate, it's like does that matter to enough people in the audience i guess to say you know for what he did for what he admits to and then on top of him just saying like yeah just break down the store who gives a shit <laughs> you know like yeah, or yeah. do this like it's it it really doesn't warm you to him the only thing is you're supposed to go well i guess the outcome is positive so, and his his transformation or his revelations as a person i guess his arc is goes in a positive direction because he's being accountable but at the same time is that enough is is it for for you know he's kind of reprehensible the person he saves is reprehensible in a in a different way and we're all supposed to just be at the end like great yeah Yeah. i i don't know enough about what he did um i don't know enough about that his and i agree with you we don't need the 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 wife and the daughter stuff because that confused me because I thought it had to do with a divorce or had to do with like he wasn't there for his child like like it yeah. took me down it took me down another path and I could it confused me but I don't I don't know enough about him other than what I'm seeing when he first pops in and he's a jerk and I don't yeah. care I don't find like I get that he's having that redemption at the end where he's kind of you know, be, being held, holding himself accountable and just kind of like, you know, but like, again, like the whole thing with the, with the, um, the, what is that? The asthma inhaler, the inhaler, the whole yeah. thing with the inhaler. Let me ask you a question. Cause I know that they kind of reference the forest fires or the wildfire with that inhaler in the Danish version is the, is the, is the wildfire a thing or is there some kind of like overarching? No. Okay. No. So a lot of, a lot of what they, uh, the way I feel, if you look at the version, the other version, this version is that they probably thought that they felt like this one wasn't, wasn't frantic enough, wasn't Americanized enough, essentially that they needed more going on. Uh, so mm-hmm. they added, you know, the wildfires, the wife, the, a more intense soundtrack, a faster pace, uh, a more lavish dispatch office so we're literally looking like you know watching all the chaos all the time even though the chaos yeah exactly (laughs) meanwhile there's like again five people there and nobody is in charge and nobody cares um but you know the other one like i said plays more with silence isolation contemplation things like that more basic approach Mm -hmm. and this one yeah they're literally making it like an episode of 24 (laughs) starring jake gyllenhaal where he's jack bauer who can't move anywhere Uh, you know so so he's he's dialing his chloe's he's dialing all his uh you know people on the side and and trying to make things work but because you know jack bauer's kind of an asshole but he was kind of like are as because you got to ride. Chuck Brown was a hero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a show that I was so hooked on, and then in retrospect, I'm like, "What does it right. say about me?" This is since not we're good talking me. about 24, and I'm on a tangent here. <laughs> yeah. My favorite moment in 24, and I always talk about this, is when Gael gets the 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 um, anthrax blown in his face <laughs> at the end of one of those episodes. He's reaching for it, and it was like, and the bomb goes off, it goes. Poof, and it pops in his face and he yeah. just sits there frozen and, it, and then it goes to the boop and I'm just like, yes, <laughs> that's terrible. But I love that moment. And so, so anyways, I'll go back to this movie. Between but, uh, <laughs> that and Jack Bauer having to hack someone's, his partner's arm off in oh, season right, three is right, like yeah. the perfect, Or when perfect they stuff. all start, or when they're getting gassed inside the CTU and they're all, and like Sean, you watch Sean Astin die and he's, <laughs> yes. like, and he's choking out. Awesome. What's wrong? What's wrong with me? <laughs> <laughs> what's wrong with this movie that we're talking about? Uh, twenty four well, whole like, episodes like, of twenty four. Like, you, you, you made me laugh because when he was like, you're talking about yeah. like you know Jack Bauer can't go anywhere. Like Jake Gyllenhaal like goes to get coffee and like he's yeah, just like, yeah. and like the look on his face because there's no coffee. It's like make more. It's like he's just like <laughs> no little coffee left. It's like but that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. Everything is wrong in this dude's life. And so it's like it's we're supposed to be sympathetic to a certain level of it, but I don't think anyone gets there for that. I think if you enjoy this movie, I think you're like, it's 90 minutes. The pace is frantic. I was invested 
in the calls, into the process more than the character. And you kind of, and maybe have an admiration for how much Gyllenhaal is doing with something, I guess, so little. Because oh, no, to I, me, yeah, he's, yeah, he's good. If you're saying to me, if I'm, say, Fuqua or Pizzolatto, or if I'm in a room with them and I'm asking them why they made these choices, I kind of feel like, you know, if you made those choices to kind of drum up more in terms of this, uh, how the story is presented, then to me, I think the story isn't enough in their eyes, that they felt like they needed more. And spoiler, in terms of the, the critical response, the other one's hands down getting better critical response um even though this one's not getting panned at all i think a lot of people like joan hall enough to at least give it middling grades if not something higher but mm. the other one you know i don't know if they just felt like they they liked that version more for its pacing and simplicity more than this but at, at the time it, it was graded higher uh, mm. especially amongst like metacritics and all these other scores well, it's it's definitely his film, and he he does uh, he does deliver. I would say that to your point about Fuqua and what I think they they they're trying to ratchet up the tension. And I think they have to let it happen. I think they would. I think you definitely need to just kind of pull back a little and let what's happening happen. Let the audience kind of gradually get into it because it kind of hits you over the head right away when yeah. you start. And 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 it's like just let it happen. Let the audience build up. Let the audience get comfortable. Let the, yeah. and you know, I, I think maybe if kind of uh, you got to make Joe Bale a little bit more sympathetic. I mean, maybe instead of angry, he's depressed, but whatever. Like, yeah. you know, like we have to be able to feel for him and relate to him in order for us to, and when happens at the end, kind of really feel for him and kind of, so I, I but like you have to let the audience kind of like ease into it. I think, I think you just have to pull back a little on that. I would also say like, I would even go like e either do that or go like almost Dogma 95 style and just strip down the set and just right. have, you know what I mean? And just, you know what? If this is going to be a one-man show, make it a one-man show. Don't, yeah. you know, like, and listen, I get it. It's a visual medium, so maybe that's not going to work. But at least you're doing something that's completely different from the original so that yeah. you don't have to worry about being so compared to it because you're going to inevitably be compared to it. So I think, I think yeah. like you tone it, bring it back a little or strip it down and just make it at its base. And cause he's good. Like he's really good. And I just think he's a little, like we talked about, like I talked about how he's just always talking, always talking. Like he's always filling the space yeah. kind of like I am right now, not like taking a pause or taking a breath or like kind of like when you watch, uh, a uh, baseball game and the announcers don't kind of let the action speak for itself. They just keep talking. Right. It's yeah. like that. It's just, it, it just needed something like that. I, mean, I wouldn't say it needed more. It just needs less, just, just a little less for, and, and, and a little bit more. And the characters themselves, the Joe Baylor character, especially a little bit more likable in the beginning, just a little bit. Yeah. Cause the likable thing is hard, right? Because mm -hmm. I think when you're telling a story like this, you're like, I can't make a guy who did such wrong, especially in, in current parlances when they're writing this, you know, make it seem like we're letting him off the hook or as, as a, as a, as the people who are presenting the story or we're making him more likable to forgive him. Or, or or paint this oh, as yeah. okay, right? Oh, yeah, I don't need to forgive right? him. I, I don't so, need that. I just need to relate to him in some regard. You know right. what I mean? Like, I need to... Every audience has to... When they're watching a character, they have to see a little bit of themselves in there. So at some point, or just under, an understanding of why they are the way they are. I don't... Right. I mean, he can be somebody who I can empathize with, but he's still somebody who did something wrong and needs to, you know, be punished for that. I get that. But it's right. just kind of like... It's like he... Like you said... That invisible wall we talked about. He he builds up these giant walls around him, but it's not just for the people around him. It's for us too. And it's like, dude, let us in. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. And, and the interesting thing, I, I really uh, after all this, for all the differences that I mentioned, and everything, I think the alarming thing for me, especially the fact that this movie just came out in 2018, is how similar it was. Mm -hmm. And I mean line by line like they didn't change dialogue a lot of times when you watch remakes that unless it's like a classic piece of dialogue that you want to like keep in there to be like 
you know, like uh, Netflix did Rebecca last year. So maybe mm-hmm. because you're remaking Hitchcock, you're going to kind of modernize a lot of the talking because it's been longer, but also maybe want to keep a few lines that are deemed, you know, like you can't change that. Yeah, It's mm-hmm. classic. You can't touch that. So this one, it's so new that and you're changing enough that you could have done anything with the dialogue. And yet so much of it is literally line by line. So it's interesting yeah. that they went through that for something that I, I honestly think a lot of the motivation was maybe Joan Hall bought it thinking this would be a cool centerpiece for him at some point, but I don't think he thought it was maybe going to happen so fast. And then the, the, the current climate of the pandemic and, and you know, how easy it would be to kind of shoot something like this, maybe moves projects like this to the forefront. Sure. And this is where you get. I, I, yeah, no, I get that. Let me ask you a question. Sure. Because I always talk about this sometimes. Because it's set in L.A., does that put you off a little? Because it's an, it, does, it feels like an L.A. film? It adds to everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because the other one, I didn't feel like they were in some kind of populist area of uh, Denmark or whatever, however they're supposed to be in the other film, which, you know. I wouldn't fully know. I'm an American who's terrible at geography like everybody else. So, you know, I, I don't know if they're in the major metro or, or how it's... But it's the way it's positioned doesn't make it overwhelming about your, your place and time. Mm-hmm. And this one, it definitely makes the location a character, a, back, yeah. a heavy backdrop, which, to be honest, the payoff of that... Besides making, you know, showing on the giant monitors all the time to be like, remember, it's chaos outside, um, you know, is that it only adds to that one part when they pull over the van and they don't know what to expect. And they're like, I don't know if this is the right color. It's smoky. It's whatever. You know, does he have a weapon? It creates like a mystery a little bit more because the conditions aren't there Mm -hmm. or you can't get helicopter support because of that. So it kind of just is this instrument of like trying to create a situation where it makes it harder to the people he's reaching out to. Mm-hmm. But that's not, obviously it wasn't a necessary element as I think they, they struck the right chords in the previous film without all that chaos around it. Because again, you're trying to find someone who is kidnapped on a highway with very little information and kind of getting things piecemeal. It's kind of unveiling itself. That's what we're invested in. Mm-hmm. I don't care, you know, if if the cops that they send are, you know, in peril, you know, yeah, yeah. like I care. Are they going to unveil something next in the puzzle pieces of the story? Yeah, um, I'm not anti Los Angeles because, you know, like when you see a lot of these stories that come out of Hollywood, they're always about L.A. and you're just like enough already. Sure. But because yeah. but one of my favorite shows uh, is Bosch uh, and that mm. takes place in Los Angeles. And I absolutely love that show. So it's not that I'm anti the Los Angeles. I think it's just that you see so many stories that are from that area that. And it's this like, didn't need to be. Exactly. Like, I just yeah. thought that it was just kind of like, uh, here we go. Like it, like that kind of thing. Uh, you know, like how you write what you know. It's like, you know, you know, you, you don't all, you don't all just grow up there. But anyways, regardless right. of that. Exactly. Uh, but that, I was just curious if that, um, if that, if that kind of like affected you in any way. Did you ever see, cause I didn't, but wasn't there a Halle Berry movie where she's like the 911 operator, like the call or something? Yeah. It, yes. That's exactly what it's called. Yep. Okay. And, but she leaves the area, right? She goes in like. I, I envision some kind of scene where she's on the freeway fighting somebody. That, that, did that happen? I didn't even see this movie. I, I didn't see that movie either. Yeah, okay. I just remember the trailer and I remember what it was called. Ironically, because I watched uh, a movie called The Call on Netflix that was like, a, <laughs> a, I think, a Korean uh, horror movie that I absolutely oh, love. It's right, really good. Right, yeah. and, how, and every time I go to put it into IMDb or whatever, that the other Holly Berry thing comes up instead. But, you know, whatever. That's a digression. No one needs. But. Um, yes, I do know what you're talking about. And uh, just that you're bringing that up. Do you feel like if you're going to make a change to this film that him maybe being more out and about, does that add anything or, or you just, you know, or does the intensity of him being kind of stuck in a way do enough, uh, with this story? Because what is he going to do? The only time that I thought, Honestly, when his shift was sort of coming to an end and he's changing rooms and doing all that, I thought when he 
when no one can really either get to the house and he has to call his partner or those type of things, I thought he was going to take matters into his own hands without seeing the original. Yeah. I thought that was the turning point of like, all right, this is when we see him doing after. something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I th- honestly, I, cause two things, I don't know if this actually happens at LAPD that you get demoted to be a 911 operator. Cause again, I mean, you need training for that. You need to be. Yeah, it takes a certain set of skills for sure. So I don't know if that would like that. Would that even happen? But regardless, I don't know if that happens in, you know, the Danish police. That's what they do. But regardless of that, like, I think if you had somebody who if you had a character who it's more compelling if it was somebody who wasn't a cop and was somebody who maybe doesn't like doesn't like wants to be involved, wants to help people. And then. Right. has the chance to get, but it comes in over his head. Cause that's a character yeah. you can relate to. But again, we're completely eliminating the whole plot line and storyline of him, you know, being in trouble and being demoted and all that stuff. So it's a different kind of story, but right. I just, I think, and if this movie, let's put it this way. If, if I was really into this film and, and I, the issues I had with it weren't there and I was, I probably wouldn't be harping on the fact that, he's a cop who gets demoted to being a 911 operator. Like it wouldn't bother right. me so much, but it bothers me because of all the other stuff that I'm just like, I don't think this would happen. Like this feels yeah. like a contrivance. And if it's not a contrivance in the original, because that's what happens in, you know, and part of the Danish police, like that's what happens. Okay, sure. fine. But like if you're translating it to America, but this is not what happens at the LAPD. Right. But that I that I can't really buy that if you're just telling me well it's a remake so that's what they did there we're doing it here but that's that doesn't tr- that doesn't translate well for me. Yeah, and we've we've seen enough movies over time when usually when people are you know kind of out of line or or cross the line where they're being either investigated like an I you know in, internal affairs or any or some other kind of larger thing where they're being punished for some reason nine times out of ten it's you're suspended you're suspended or with you're, pay. Yeah. Or you're on desk duty. Right. And so you're still in the station being watched. Yes. And, yeah, and answering calls, but not like a 911 not dispatcher. No, That's you're, very yeah. specific. You have to be trained for that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. and especially like he's yelling. Like he's yeah. in there yelling and like nobody and like they're like they only yell at him for taking a phone call on his on his cell. Right. No one says like, "Hey man, maybe don't yell at the people that are in dire need of help. Maybe don't yeah. let's not do that." Plus, is it that distracting for him to take like a minute long phone call when everyone's on the phone? I don't know. Yeah, exactly. I guess any call center job, regardless of (laughs) severity of the situation, (laughs) just sucks in the in the end because dealing with people on a high frequency, uh, prison company excluded, Mike, is not the ideal job, of course. But um, yeah. I agree with you on a lot of that because, and maybe why the other one works a little bit better too is that maybe because it is such a, it seems like a smaller situation. It's not L.A. that you can kind of buy it, like, maybe a like little bit local, more like 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 a local. Yeah, like it, yeah, it's an all hands sense. on deck, small crew kind of a thing to where yeah, this is your job because you fucked up. That might even be better if like you had like it was like a small town sheriff type thing and and maybe you had the guy was demoted and like maybe the original 911 operator like it was her wedding or something and she was leaving or something he's like you're on desk you have to take the 911 calls. Like it's like something yeah. like that. That yeah. would be really good. Like but I but again, I'm probably more biased to small town stuff like that because i always like the microcosms of 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 society and stuff like that so that's probably why i like that but i think that might be a more compelling story because then now you have a character that's not just lapd you have a character that's like joe baylor local law local law enforcement did something wrong and he's punished but you know like something like that like you know it's just yeah it's it seems more maybe it's more personable I guess maybe yeah. maybe that's what I'm saying. Like when when you when you put LAPD or NYPD or some big like that's like thirty thousand, forty thousand people who work there. It's just kind of like it's like yeah. a, it's it's a face. It's not anything. Yeah. You know, maybe yeah. it's something like that. I mean, again, these are things that I get to and that we get to because. The, the, we're the searching. Is, yeah, exactly. The story's a little lacking, and so like we're just starting to pick out everything. And I and I I, I hate doing that to movies, but then again be a stronger story and I won't you know what I mean well and this is why I think this story this particular film will quote succeed 
because it's on Netflix. It's to the Netflix American audience. I think a lot of people who are going to watch it did not see the original. It's and short. I think a lot of people, and it's got a big star in it, which doesn't always happen with the and Netflix he's, film. And he's, he's good in it. Aside right. from what I said in terms of like pulling back, he's still good in it. So he's right. he's driving the movie. Right. So I think a lot of people are just going to go, this was worth my time, which unfortunately is like a barometer right now, especially where not just the Netflix, but streaming and a lot of the elements were like in this content weirdness right now where, you know, nobody wants to go to theatrical necessarily because they're confused as to what the level of a uh, audience engagement or reception will be and then you know the windows are smaller a lot of things are getting to there and a lot of people are pushing back you know the business so it's like a movie like this where you can still get a star it's not trash it's not ironically fuqua's last film <laughs> so it's, it's a step up in there it's a step up in in some quality that may have been coming in the last you know few months on Netflix, I'll be very honest there. Um, so Ooh. it's entertaining. Hey, if everybody listens every week, uh, it's no secret. So I'm just kind of <laughs> putting it together. So, you know, outside of a few films here and there, it's been a tough couple months. And, you know, a movie like this, you get to go, all right, cool. I get to see a quality actor with a quality performance. Give me something to follow for 90 minutes. I'm not complaining. So there's not going to be an outcry for the details of this film. Well, let's say that you are universal and you have this. This is your movie. When right. are you releasing this theatrically? Like, when are you putting it out? I, I'll tell you when it's going out. But when are you putting it out? Yeah. Well, now, because, go yeah, ahead. I, again, if I'm universal, it's probably going straight to Peacock. Okay, no. Let's say you're putting it theatrical. Let's say let's say <laughs> yeah. there's no pandemic and you did this. Say movie. you're Sony. <laughs> it's, okay, it's one location and you're, yeah. it's it, it's not a different film. It's the film we have there. When are you releasing this in theaters? I, I don't know. Dump months. I don't know. That, you're releasing it in the dump months. You're yeah, releasing it's probably it in a January film or January yep. February. Yeah, you're put, yep. because it's not going to make a lot of money in the in theaters. It's just not. It's yeah. not. I mean. If I, I like Jake Gyllenhaal a lot, I actually like his career because he has a lot of great. Like when he at one point, I think after Prince of Persia, he went back to the stage, I think, and then uh -huh. he came back. And his movies are, I really like him. Yeah, but, but let's be honest, he is not a box office draw. Not no. to the extent of like if you had somebody in there who was like somebody who is a movie star and who could yeah. carry the film. If they, yeah. if you had somebody like that in there, maybe. Like, I don't know who. Like, Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise, I don't know. But somebody huge, Tom Hanks. Or even someone to his com contemporaries, like a Ryan Gosling or something. It's probably yep. a little somebody, bit yeah. bigger of an opening. Who's Yeah, okay, yeah. I think I think that's the star you have in there for theatrical. But, like, this movie with Jake Gyllenhaal, it, you're putting it in the dump month, as we talk about. And it's, yeah. it's going to be a quick release. probably be out in two, three. It'll probably be It'll probably be split in half. First week, it'll have opening weekend, its own theaters. Second yep. week, it'll probably have to split with another film. Third week, it's probably gone or maybe down to one film. That, that's what the one yeah. show. That's what's happening. Yeah. Um, but and but that's just that's that you, you could tell that like so. But on Netflix, yeah, it'll probably be successful because it's yeah. short, like you talked about, and people will just be like, "What are we watching? Oh, let's watch this. This is quick." Well, in at a time when right now people are obsessed with Squid Game, so that's not going to be uh. Uh, taken down. <laughs> But as far as movies and stuff, this is number two right behind Squid Game. It's the number one movie on Netflix right now. So, again, a lot of people are watching it. A lot of people, you know, to, to have them uh, to have this be above the Britney versus Spears documentary, which I've started. I haven't completed yet. Sorry, everybody else. <laughs> um, but, you know, so my take will come later. You know, I'm going to. That situation's already fixed, which is ironic, but you know it's it's still an interesting thing to follow as a '90s kid. So, um, but you know, for the fact that it's beating out stuff like that and and other notable things that are on the platform, I think says a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and that he he can at least open a Netflix movie, which you know, I know maybe the the bar is set lower than a theatrical thing, but yeah. you know, it oh, matters. Yeah. It matters for his future success. For it's sure. too bad. It's too bad. Like you can't really compare like streamer openings. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. cause like my question would be like, okay, will this, will he retain the audience in the second week or will they go watch the Muppet Haunted Mansion movie on Disney plus? <laughs> <laughs> you well, know what I mean? Like it's really difficult to compare. Well, when people if, jump if you into believe, streamers, if you believe the metrics, 
right? Mm-hmm. Which is all a whole separate conversation. But like Nielsen handles a lot of them and stuff, so there is some validity as time has gone on. But uh, as far as views go and those type of things, this type of film you could tell on the Netflix top tens now that that exists how how good something went. You know, if it le- if it stays to a second week, that's good. That's mm-hmm. quite good. That means you were pretty damn popular. If you lasted multiple weeks, you had a big hit. Mm-hmm. Because even a movie like Army of the Dead, um, which, you know, had some theatrical, but not enough. I saw it in the movie theaters, but, you know, not everybody did. It didn't go wide or anything. But, you know, when it hit the platform, uh, it's a t- top 10 all-time Netflix film. You know, as far as uh, the views go, I think it's either nine or 10 right now, like 70 million, 75 million people watched that movie, at least somewhat, you know, where they bowed out on it is a whole other thing. But, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't get to know that with box office returns, whether people walked out because it was a piece of crap either. So, you know, for as far as what they consider a view, those things are successful. And I don't remember Army of the Dead hanging on too long in the top 10s. So -hmm. people can consume at a high volume that first week. But if you still see it going, that means you have a really good hit on your hands. What's uh, what's number one? Um, extraction. Really? Yeah. Which, again, height of subscriber base mm-hmm. plus height of the pandemic because that was like a, like a spring release right after lockdown, you mm-hmm. know, right after the initial uh, pandemic stuff. So a lot of people home a lot of eyeballs and a lot of subscribers that was like a perfect storm of viewing. But, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of their biggest ones are the action hits. It's, you know, you see uh, Six Underground, Spencer Confidential, uh, Army <sighs> of the Dead, uh, you know. I, could, I couldn't finish Six Underground. I couldn't finish it. I, I tried. <laughs> I don't know. I had enough fun with it for the, like, lavish set piece version. Right, of it. right. You know. Is are, is there any character I could tell you what they do or anything? No, I I, yeah. I can't remember a damn thing. But I could tell you like, hey, remember that shot in the rooftop where they shot the swimming pool and had to go through? Like I could tell you those type of things. Um, but yeah, that's <laughs> that's a movie that doesn't uh do necessarily well. But you know, and occasionally they'll get big hits with like Kevin Hart's Fatherhood was a hit this mm-hmm. past year. So that's interesting on a whole other level because it's like. A dramedy did enough to be in your top ten. That's kind of interesting. Well, um, you have to, you're you're. I mean, not that I'm saying they're doing this, but it begs the question. Like, they could be lying to you. They could just be saying, you know what I mean. That's but the, well, it's who's reporting, yeah. right? I get it, and I and yeah. I understand. I'm not saying, but like, you know, if you make a deal with Netflix for your movie, I'm like, well, I better be in the top ten the first four weeks. Like, like shit, like that. Like, you know, yeah. that's gonna happen. But again, that's just that's a conspiracy theory kind of thing. But you you are trusting sure. you are trusting uh, a metric that is controlled by the people that are gonna control what you watch and have an algorithm like where like because you 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 know you want to just watch a movie on Netflix, you can't even get to a film that if you just like, oh man, I just want to watch. Where yeah. is this film? Like you just you know, have to physically <laughs> yeah. search for it. And it's just like mm, yeah. I don't want to watch these other movies that you keep suggesting to me. <laughs> yeah. And but, sometimes they're better at, you know, feeding that information than other ones. Like I, yeah. I know HBO Max, I have a lot of problem with uh their platform, even though I think their content is very good. And, you know, there's a there's a lot of issues across the uh, streamers because they're so, all playing catch up and there's yeah. too much content all at the same time. And I've had just, I've had this problem because I have the Roku. Yeah. Well, the Roku has the audio has the you know you can speak into the remote and you could just say the yeah. movie and it'll pop up. Oh, it's playing here. But some of the streamers, I don't think either update that stuff or because sometimes I'll be like, oh, it's not available, and then like Butler or somebody will be like, oh, no, I watched it on HBO Max or I watched it on right. Paramount Plus, probably the, the the newer ones. I'm like, what the heck, man? I just asked right. for it and it's not there. So sometimes there's a little well, the carousel happens so fast. Uh, too. Yeah, it's I like know. oh, if you did that, you know. Because we're on, uh, we're talking on the fourth of October. If you did that on September thirtieth, yes, and, and yes. the day after Mike watched, I'm sure it's like, yeah, well, that he's probably you're both probably right. That happened to me with Switchback, I believe. I think uh, there was so no. It happened to me with one of the movies. On September 30th, I'm checking the movie. I'm like, okay, it's available here. All right, it's available on Paramount+. Plus. Okay, good. I'll watch it. I'll watch it tomorrow. Right. Or, or no, I'm sorry, August 30th. And September 1st rolls around. I'm like, boop, like, where'd it go? $14.99? Yeah. What? Like, it was like, it did that to me. I'm just like, oh, come on. Yeah. Like, stuff like that. So, they, like, they play those yeah. games. You're absolutely right. Like, that, that's infuriating. <laughs> yeah. 
And that's how piracy exists. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know what you're Not to about. advocate. Not to advocate. Just saying it gets Listen, upsetting. Man. Listen, yeah. man. Listen, all I know is that, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm not going to comment. But. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good, uh, good, good way to do that there, Switzerland. <laughs> excellent job. And an excellent job by you. We we have we have now talked for this movie, you know, two thirds of the of the running time of the movie. So I hope you guys have been at least entertained by us going in all the directions that this movie could provide. Um, and be sure to, of course, check out Forgotten Cinema uh, and Forgotten Horror, or go back and listen to what are you guys up to? Probably uh, similar to me. You're probably in the 130, 104 uh, like episode. Yeah, I think we're 130 or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we had a, a lot couple, of, a lot of yeah, we had a couple like um like bonus episodes that we were doing for a little bit, so that kind of added to the number too. But yeah, no, I think right. we're around we're around your number as well. Yeah. So definitely enough to get you by for a long time. Subscribe now. Check out the new stuff. Go back and check out the old episodes. You do it all in season form so you can burn through seasons. Yep. It's a it's a delight. And you guys are great. <laughs> and if you wanna, you know, as always check out uh, the Burn After Reading episode because I'm on there and it's awesome for that this reason, of course. Very true. So, yeah. So thanks again for doing this, Mike, and, and we'll have to have you back on real soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Andrew.